Well, welcome everybody to all of our campuses, many throughout the Twin Cities today. So glad you made it to church. I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online around the country and world. We know that you're a part of our congregation. It's always glad to be able to welcome you. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Others of you are like, why did we invite those people? Our relatives are crazy. But uh, hey, before we dive in today, most of you know that we're trying to raise $25 million to put a permanent campus on the west side of the Twin Cities over there in Wyzetta, Plymouth area. And cards are coming in and we're making progress, but if you haven't yet made a commitment, I urge you to fill out a card and get it into us by this Thursday, which is November 30th, because we can't go forward until we have $25 million committed uh, over the next two years. We're not going to go into debt. <laughs> we don't think there's a lot of faith in just taking out a loan and bailing out that way. Uh, we're going to do this in cash, and I believe that if we do this together as a church, we're going to get there. So that the people on the west side of the Twin Cities can have a, a great church to go to, just like those of us who are sitting in one of our campuses right now, one of our six campuses, a permanent site, just like we all have a seat and a place to go to, we'd like to provide that for the folks out there in Wyzetta who are deep, deep sinners. <laughs> I just have to keep saying that. You know I'm kidding, but actually not. Uh, but there's a variety of... A variety of ways you could do this uh, to get a card and to, to start giving. You know, stop by one of the tables in our lobby. All of them have a table where you can get a card, drop the card off in the mail, or go to our website. You can read it there. Again, by November 30th, uh, we're a church of about 30,000, 35,000 in-house and online. And, you know, a variety of ways this could happen. If just 5,000 of us gave $5,000 above and beyond our normal giving the next two years, we'd make the $25 million. Of course, it's not going to happen that way. Some of you can, can do way more than that, and some of you have already been you know, letting us know, and I'm so grateful for you. Others of you can't do that much, and, and maybe not at all at this point in your life. And so my, my challenge is to think and pray about this, and please do what you can do to make this happen so that other people can come to know Christ just like you and I get a chance to do that and walk with him every day. But today we're in a series called Anchor Deep, and we named it that way because if you have a boat that's tied to a dock and a hurricane comes in, that boat is going to get torn apart along with the dock. The only chance of that boat surviving is if it's anchored deep somewhere in a bay or harbor, or even out at sea, anchored deep with several anchors so the wind and waves can kind of blow it around. That's the only chance that it might be able to survive a hurricane. And here's what I know about every person here, every single one of us. Here's what I know. We're going to get hit by hurricanes. And often they come without warning, without any regard for who you are as a person, how good or bad you are. And when one sweeps into your life, here's the question. Will your anchor be deep enough to hold? Will it be deep and strong enough to get you through a storm? Because the time to prepare for a storm is when you're not in one when the seas are calm, and by the way, anchors come in all shapes and sizes. This is a big, enormous one for a huge ship. But some of these anchors are, are just totally worthless. You can get one of these at Fleet Farm or Walmart. I've had one of these, and I've gotten blown off a good fishing spot on Lake Mille Lacs with just a 15-mile-an-hour wind, and some other guy with a better anchor comes in and takes my spot, and that's not good. <laughs> this particular anchor, this, uh, this dinghy anchor, is 100% worthless. This won't hold you still in a, with a toy boat in a bathtub. It's just totally worthless. You might, not, might, might as well not even have one. And here's my concern. 
Some of you are in a massive storm with nothing but a dinghy anchor. I mean, you are in it and you've got nothing holding you down. You can't sleep at night, for example, because of the pressure at work for a lot of you. You feel trapped in a relationship that's toxic and hurtful, or you're exhausted with little kids at home but lack the resources to get help, or you carry an unrelenting ache in your heart because of a wayward son or daughter, and it's a storm that just beats on your life. And what's the anchor? Sat with a successful businessman recently, you would know his business if I told you what it was, who's under such pressure at work that he said to me, Bob, I take three Ambien every night just to get four hours of sleep. It's a storm. A woman wrote us recently and said, I work at a job I hate. My daughters struggle with not being liked by boys. When I see other parents with children who look happy, I get furious with those parents and then get disappointed with myself. She says, I'm not an alcoholic, but I look forward to three glasses of wine at night just to get relief from the knot in my stomach. Searching for an anchor that'll hold. The title of my message today is Anchor Deep When I'm Tired. Don't raise any hands, but anybody here just tired? Just tired. And not just physically tired like from a workout, but tired in your soul, and it feels like you're sinking. I wanna talk to you today about weariness of the soul. Because there's a big difference between physical weariness and soul weariness. We all have a body, which is the physical part of us. We have a mind, which is the thinking part. But we also have a soul. And it's the most important part of who you are. It's the part that experiences love and joy and peace. It's also the part that experiences loneliness and fear and desperation. So how's the condition of your soul today? Is it well with your soul? David wrote these words. He says, my soul is full of trouble. I'm a man without strength. He says, because his soul's in trouble, he's in trouble. What's the cure for that? What pill is there for a troubled soul? And by the way, I think many of us, so many of us, have no awareness about our soul. And sometimes I don't have awareness about my, just no awareness about what our soul is or what we're doing to it or what's happening in our soul. Just no awareness whatsoever. We just, we just drift through life. You know, most of us believe in God, but we don't have peace. Instead, we have pain from a tired and troubled soul. Now, the good news about pain, and I don't know if there's much good news about pain, but the good news about pain is pain is your clue that something's wrong. If you're experiencing pain in your life in somewhere, that's a sign to you that something's wrong. Several years ago, a sharp pain went through my foot, my right foot, while I was golfing, and it wouldn't go away. And I've been healthy all my life. Uh, played sports, ran, hiked, hunted, no problem. But this foot thing would not go away, so I went to a podiatrist, podiatrist didn't even know what one was, and nothing was broken. He didn't know what it was, but when I told people about the pain in my foot, they began asking me about the shoes I was wearing because I've always worn the cheapest shoes I can possibly find. I paid $39 for my running shoes, and I thought that was outrageous. But one day, my son, who's a millennial and has a thing for shoes, 
said to my wife, tell dad he has to go get a better pair of shoes and that he has to spend at least $100. I said, no way. Not gonna happen, not in a million years. I'm not paying over $39 for a pair of shoes. No pair of shoes is worth 100 bucks. My son said, and tell him he has to go to a place like the running room or try fitness and get fitted. I've always gone to Fleet Farm and fit myself. But my foot was killing me. So after the podiatrist, I went to the running room. <laughs> and I told the guy, look. I said, I've never paid over $39 for a pair of shoes. He looked at me like I was from a different planet. Didn't know what to do with me. I said, but my foot hurts. And people say I need better shoes. So I, I tried on five different pairs without looking at the price. Just wanted to get the best pair, the one that felt the best. Finally, I picked it out. I said, how much? When he told me the price, I felt a different pain. And then he said, yeah, but they'll last just six months. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. And I felt a terrible, worse pain. I've always worn shoes for five, six, seven years. He said, yeah, but they wear out. I said, no, they don't. A few minutes later, I walked out with my new shoes, and I'm telling you, it felt like I'd committed a sin paying 59 bucks for a pair. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> but now my pain is gone, and I've been wearing the same brand of, of shoes for the past eight years. The good news about pain is that it's your clue that something isn't right but often the pain happens slowly over time, kind of creeps up on you. I had no awareness of the slow but steady damage I was causing my foot from over 50 years of neglect. So when the pain came, here's what I did. This is so common. I misidentified the cause and the solution to my pain. I thought it was from overuse that I'd pulled a tendon or broke a bone, and I misidentified the problem. This is so important. Many of us don't have foot damage, but we have soul damage. We're so spiritually and emotionally drained that our soul is in trouble and feeling pain. Our soul is crying out for help, but because of sin, we often misidentify what our soul needs to get well. This is so common. Because of sin or busyness or just junk in our life, we misidentify what our soul needs to get well. In his great book, uh, Soul Craving, my, uh, John Harper writes these words. He says, when my soul isn't centered in God, it'll gravitate toward externals, so true, to satisfy its craving to things conquests or experiences, he goes on, but there's nothing you can buy. There's nothing you can acquire or experience that can give your soul the peace that it craves. If my soul isn't centered in God, I will misidentify what it needs to get well. I will look to some kind of external thing. A person maybe, a hairstyle, food, body shape, adventure, new vehicle or experience to satisfy a craving in my soul. But a few days after I acquired that thing, my soul is still hurting. And I don't know why. In his great book, Uncaged, my friend Judd Wilhite 
writes these words. He says, all of us long for peace. Isn't that true? All of us want peace. We want joy and purpose. These are spiritual soul needs that we often try to fill with physical things. So true. If we try to satisfy spiritual thirst with non-spiritual things, it will never work. So what's the cure to soul damage and soul fatigue? What's the pathway to peace? Gang, I can tell you it's not enough just to put your faith in Jesus. Many or most of you are Christians, which means at some point you put your trust in Jesus to forgive your sins, and he did that. The moment you asked him to, the moment you confessed your sins and put your faith in Christ, he forgave your sins, past, present, and future. You are saved for eternity. You never have to question that again, but that's just the beginning of a lifelong walk with Jesus. You're forgiven, but now it's learning how to talk to him, trust him, enjoy him, and ask him to fill you with his spirit of love, joy, peace, and power every single day. It's a little like marriage. Those of you who are married, married, you know, when we got married, I thought, well, that's done. Go back to normal life. That's done. A month later, I thought, how can she be so annoying? She thought, I can't believe I'm stuck with this jerk for the rest of my life. How could I have made, she told me that, how could I have made this mistake? That began a year of conflict and pain. And the only thing that held our marriage together was a vow, a commitment, not a feeling. There was no feeling. It was simply a commitment to our vows for better or worse. We were in worse. We had a marriage, but we did not have a relationship. It took us two years to stop fighting and stop trying to get the other person to be just like you. That was followed by two more years of just learning how to respect each other and forgive each other and overlook each other's differences over and over again. And now 39 years later, we have a relationship. And it's good. And it's safe. And it's one in body, mind, and soul. I wouldn't trade it anything in the world. But here's the thing. Every single day, my wife and I need to renew and rekindle our love for each other with hugs, kisses, with kind words, gentle touches, with little rituals that keep our souls tender toward each other. And it's the same with our relationship with Jesus Christ. Praying a prayer to trust Jesus is just the beginning of learning how to enjoy him, talk to him, and invite him into the hidden parts of your life. What is the solution to soul damage and soul fatigue? For those of you who can't find peace, for those of you who have a troubled soul and can't find the answer, here is the solution, the words of Jesus. He says, come to me. 
come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I, he says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says, come to me, and I will give you rest. It's nothing you can buy. It's not another person, movie, sports team, or delivery from Amazon that can cure a troubled soul. Jesus says, come to me. He is the cure. David wrote it this way. He said, my soul finds rest. It's only one place. In God alone. So if you look for peace in any other thing, you will never get it. Because it's found in Jesus alone. And notice this verse. He says, all who are weary, every single one of us, all of us who are weary and heavy burdened, because some of you are like, Bob, you don't know my life. My job is impossible. My roommates are terrible. My spouse is crazy. My debt's unmanageable, and my sin is unforgivable. But God knows all about it. He knows what's damaging your soul, and he says, look, it doesn't matter all, anyone, doesn't matter what you've done, who you are, what place you're in life, all who are weary and heavy burden, come. Gang, God knows you're tired. He knows it's hard. He sees your stress and how unmanageable your life is, and he says, come, just come anyway, all of you, and I'll give you rest. A dad wrote of how his three-year-old son used to approach him when his little boy was tired or scared and just needed to be held, and the little guy would reach out his arms to his dad, and he'd say, hold you, daddy, hold you. His three-year-old version of, hold me, daddy. That little boy is now a grown 30-year-old man. And one day he came home from work and found that his wife had left him for another man, and it destroyed him. So he called his dad in tears and asked if he could come over. And his dad said, of course, son. He drove five hours to his parents' home. He walked through the door, collapsed into his father's arms, sobbing with grief. And this kind and loving dad held his son close. And he writes these words. I could almost hear my 30-year-old son say, hold you, daddy. Hold you. Anyone here just need to be held? Anyone here need to come to the Father and feel his loving embrace? Jesus said, come. My arms are wide open. Maybe for some of you today, for the first time ever, you'll come to him. And just say, I can't do it anymore. I need help. Jesus, I'm coming to you. Maybe for some of you the first time today. And then Jesus said these words in the same verse. He says, take my yoke, kind of a strange word, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. There's a better way to do life than a lot of us are doing right now. There's a, there's a learning that needs to take place. Jesus says, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble. You can trust me. I'm not gonna beat up on you. 
and you will find rest for your souls. A yoke was something a farmer would fasten around the shoulders of his oxen so his oxen could plow the fields and do the farmer's work. And Jesus is saying, look, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. There's a different way to do life. And so just like oxen needed to surrender its will to the Father, Jesus says in order for us to find rest for our souls, we need to surrender our will and our ways to him and learn a different way to live. Not to resist him, but to live according to his will and wear his yoke willingly. Part of the key to finding rest for our souls is that we finally surrender our will. Not my will, but yours be done, God. Surrender our will to God. Finally surrender. And this is so important. After 61 years of living life and dealing with all the fears and insecurities that I have, and I've wrestled with them all my life, I have learned there's only one cure for a troubled soul, and it's this word surrender. If there was a different word, I would tell you. But after 61 years of following Christ, reading his word in prayer, and just trying to figure this out, this is the key to finding uh, soul repair. I've got to surrender my life to Jesus every single day, several times a day. And so every morning, I pray a prayer that goes something like this, Jesus, I surrendered my life to you. I'm so desperate for your peace. I'm so dependent on you for your help and protection today that I'm just offering my life to you to lead me. It's putting my life under the care and authority of Jesus Christ and asking him to lead me all through that day. And then somewhere during that that prayer, every single day, I remind myself of who God is, that he's almighty, all-knowing, and all-present. So I say this, God, I know that you are almighty. There's nothing you can't do. You created the world, the universe. You created me, everything that exists. God, you are almighty. And then I say, God, you are all-knowing. There's nothing you don't know. You know everything about my fears. You know everything about my kids, my marriage, my struggles. You know everything about who's gonna be in church in a few days and the exact word words that each person needs to hear. I don't know, God, but you do. I'm trusting you to tell me what those words are. And then I say, God, you are all present. You're almighty, you're all knowing. You're all present, you're right here with me in my office or wherever I'm praying this prayer, you're right here. You live around me, you live inside me by your spirit. And so this is what I pray. God, will you, by your almighty power and almighty knowledge, will you give me your power and give me your wisdom and knowledge, fill me with your spirit and lead me through this day. What a way to start a day. Instead of how, you know, many of us start our days. Every day I pray this prayer because the pressures and fear I feel are like weeds that try to grow back every single day and choke out God's peace. I can almost feel some of you resisting and wanting a different solution to soul fatigue, but gang, I'm telling you, there isn't one. If there was, I'd tell you. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary. 
I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. You'll find rest for your souls. And it's every single day. For me, it starts in the morning because if I don't surrender my life to Jesus first thing in the morning, the weeds grow back and choke out my peace. So here's what I do. This is my daily routine. I close my office door. I push everything aside. I avoid the office chit-chat. I love office chit-chat. I would love to start my day, but I don't. I know that if I get into office chit-chat, that's gonna take me away from my time with God, and I never, ever, ever open emails first thing in the morning. Emails are a death blow to soul surrender. Why would I ever open up my emails and let emails jerk my soul around long before I check in with God? Why would I do that? So every day, Man, if you check emails first thing in the morning or Instagram, which I don't even know what that is, but they say it's a thing. <laughs> Actually, I do. I'm not that stupid. <laughs> but I'm telling you, gang, if, if your first thing in the morning is to check emails, Instagram, social, whatever it is, just sign up for soul weariness. Just sign up. Because your soul is going to go down a path. And God wants to speak to you. If I don't do that, I'll face my day without God's peace and power. It'll all be on me. I'll face my day alone without God, and that leads to soul damage. And I know what some of you are saying. I know I'm stepping on some toes here. I know what some of you are saying. You're saying, but Bob, I'm so busy that if I don't dive into my list, I'll never make it then sign up for a damaged soul. Just sign up right now. Those 20 minutes you spend quietly before God every morning will allow you to accomplish far more than you could ever imagine because you will be running on different fuel, God fuel. Psalm 23, David wrote these words. He says, look, he leads me beside what? Rushing waters? No, quiet waters. There he restores my soul. I think the biggest enemy to your soul is speed, noise, distraction. John Ortberg calls it hurry sickness. We're just hurried. We just run through life. It's when you've said yes to too many things and now your life is out of control, but it's by quiet waters where God restores you not when you're flying through life and filling every spare minute with your list. So I wanna ask you, do you have a time and place every day where you're quiet? Do you have a time and place where you surrender to God and he restores your soul beside quiet waters? And I know that this is new for some of you. So give yourself time to grow into this. And at first you might feel awkward or what am I doing or I'm not hearing from God. If this is new, start your quiet water time by reading one or two pages out of a devotional. I use this one by Sarah Young. I read a page or two out of this every single day just to start my day, quiet my soul. Don't rush through it. Sometimes I'll linger on a phrase or a statement for several minutes, but then don't use this as a substitute for the Bible. 
A lot of people make that mistake. So the next thing I do is I read a few pages out of an inspiring book that inspires my spirit. Then I read a few verses out of the Bible and then I pray my prayer of surrender. And I'm telling you, this simple routine quiets my spirit and invites God into the rest of my day. There's no pill. There's no other person or possession. Your soul finds rest in God alone. But here's what I think. I think some of us might be a little afraid of God or he's mysterious to us. And so we're reluctant to open up to him and invite him into our life. Uh, when I was a boy, we lived in a neighborhood near Chicago where the houses were lined up and down the streets and our backyards bumped up to each other. And our backyard bumped up to a neighbor who had these high, uh, very thick bushes and they were like a fortress that lined his entire backyard. And during those five years we lived there, we kids never once met or even got a look at the people who lived on the other side of those bushes. The old man's name was Mr. Angelopolopoulos. No kidding, he was Greek. Mr. Angelopolopoulos, and all we could ever see of this mysterious man was the smoke from his cigar that he would smoke every day or his straw hat that he wore on top of his head, and an occasional garden rake that he would beat on the bushes to shoo us little kids away because he got a little jumpy when we shot our BB guns or snapped off one of his branches for a spear. You know, your kids play video games. We, we did the real thing. We beat each other. Sticks. And whenever one of our soccer balls sailed over, a frisbee sailed over his bushes, forget about it, never came back. I mean, it got lost or he just stored them away. But instead of walking around to the front of his house, knocking on his door and asking for his balls like normal people, we would pick a crab apple, stick a lit firecracker in it, a little ladyfinger, little one, toss it over and then just run. And for five years, we never came around those bushes, never actually spoke to each other, never met each other's families, never learned each other's names, even saw what each other looked like. He was probably a very colorful man. Remember my big fat Greek wedding? Remember Gus? He was probably a Gus with a great Greek wife. But we were a mystery to each other. And we were afraid. I'm telling you, one of my regrets is that I never walked around those bushes. I'll bet Gus and his wife were kind and good people. I'll bet he had the most beautiful garden. I'll bet his wife was a great cook with a big apron and a big smile. With, and she made great, authentic, wonderful Greek food, which I love, and I missed all of it. We could have been friends. We could have had a relationship and had a peaceful feeling and spirit about each other. Instead, we lived in fear. And so here's what I would say to those of us who are afraid of God. Man, walk around the bushes. Walk around front. 
knock on God's door and just say you're sorry for whatever you've done wrong, and he'll forgive you. And you will begin a relationship. And in that relationship, you will find peace for your soul. He's waiting every day with outstretched arms for his sons and daughters to come to him and just say, hold you, Daddy. Hold you, Daddy. I need you. I need your strength. I need your love. I need your guidance. Jesus, I need you to heal me. Please take away the, the troubled, weary part of my life and give me peace. Hold you, Daddy. So how's the condition of your soul? Jesus said, look, come. Come. All who are weary. And I will give you rest. And how we want to end today is with a song at all campuses. I'm just going to invite you to stay seated. And this is a familiar song to many of you. But I, I just invite you to let the words wash over you and let God speak to you through this song. Let it be your prayer. And I believe that you'll begin to feel and experience God's embrace even in this next few moments. And so bands, you can load now and just take it in. Take it in. Let God minister to your heart.